and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to yours. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Uh, today, I'm going to start off with a question. It's an easy question. You didn't have to study. Who here has ever had to make a decision? Oh, me. Yeah, everybody. You had to make a decision whether you'd answer that question, right? Um, yeah, so obviously everybody, we all, every single day, we have to make decisions. Um, and in our lives, there are varying degrees of decisions that we have to make. Sometimes, you know, every single day we have to choose, what are we going to wear? What are we going to eat for breakfast? Do we want to eat breakfast? Do we want to fast like Dylan and Pete do sometimes? Um, do we... There's daily decisions like that, right? Every few years, there might be a bigger decision we have to make, like where do we want to live? Who do we want to live with? Things like that. Uh, and then, of course, there's these decisions in life that uh, most people only make once, like who do we want to marry if we want to get married? Um, unless you happen to be the woman in the Gospels that married like seven men, they all kept dying. Uh, she had one to get ready and one to go. How did that one? But as people, every single person has one decision that is the greatest decision that anybody can make. And that is Romans 10, 9, and 10. So... Every other decision does not even come close to comparing to this. Because when somebody decides this, that they want to do what this verse says, they have, that, that's the difference between living maybe 80-something years and living for all of eternity. Uh, Romans 10, 9, 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is where it all starts. That very moment that we make that decision, we become righteous. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, is you are righteous now. Um, so I've got this book here. I think all of us here are familiar with this. Uh, this is the Bible study, the Bible tells me so, uh, Studies in Abundant Living, Volume 1, by Dr. Victor Paul Werewolf. Um, 
and there is a chapter in here, chapter 8, called You Are Righteous Now. So tonight we're kind of going to be working from this. Uh, we're going to be going to a lot of the same verses that are in this chapter, and we're going to be reading a lot of things that Dr. Werewell has to say in here. So, um, starting off, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the God-given justification whereby a person stands in the presence of God without any consciousness of sin, guilt, or shortcomings. Um, and what a great definition that is. What a simple definition that is. Uh, righteousness is a word that maybe a lot of us, before we came to fellowship, before we got in the word, uh, didn't really mean a lot to us. Maybe it was kind of confusing. Um, but righteousness is uh, the God-given justification. And what I really see in this definition is how much God loves us. It's given. God gave it so that we could be in the presence of God. In other words, he wants you to be in his presence. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone through the trouble to give it to you, right? Sometimes we talk ourselves into thinking, you know, maybe we're not worthy to be in God's presence. But God says you are if you do Romans 10, 9, and 10. Let's go to Romans 3. If you really want to know about your righteousness, Romans is a great place to start. Um, in the seven church epistles, which are Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. Um, there are three doctrinal epistles, and those are Romans, Ephesians, and Thessalonians, and each one builds on top of each other. So you have Romans, which is the believer's justification. It talks about how we became righteous, how we became born again, what Jesus Christ accomplished for, uh, for that to be possible. And then Ephesians builds on that, where we are already born again, and everything that we have in Christ right now. And then Thessalonians is who we will be in the future when Jesus Christ comes back. Um, so again, Romans is uh, the doctrine epistle of our righteousness. So Romans 3, verse 21. It says, but now, right now, not when Jesus Christ comes back, that's in a different epistle, um, is the emphasis of Thessalonians. But right now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Um, you know, throughout the Old Testament, throughout all the years, God revealed bits and pieces of his word to the prophets. Guys like Moses and Elijah, um, other people in the Old Testament. And they talked about a righteousness that was going to be revealed when the Messiah would come. We have that. They didn't get that. You know, Great men like Moses that did all these amazing things, they didn't even have the righteousness of God, not like we do. Verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. There's no difference. Anybody who wants to come to God to get this righteousness, it's available. Jesus Christ paid the full price for that. Um, 
you know, it says in the Gospels, Jesus Christ said that uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Um, God's word is to everybody, no matter what your background is. 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same playing field, and that's what the first three chapters of Romans are about, showing that Jews and Gentiles, no matter who you are, what your background is, we all fall short of the glory of God. 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Again, it's a gift. We didn't work for it. Um, And there are no works that you can do to make you righteous. I lost my place here, so I'm going to have to turn to the pages. Um, But you see that throughout the New Testament over and over and over again. It is not by works. It's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone, right? It's over and over again, not the law. It's believing that we are righteous. Um. Ever since man was created, this is skipping a little further down in the chapter, ever since man was created, he has tried to work out his own righteousness and tried to do the kind of work which would make himself look good in the sight of God. The basic cry, and this sentence right here is super important, the basic cry of the heart of man is to be righteous before God. It's something that is inside of us. It's programmed in our DNA, that we want to be righteous before God. And a lot of people don't recognize that until they actually get in the Word and see, oh, that's why I did the things I did, is because I want to be right in God's sight. I'm trying to please someone. I'm trying to please God. Um, You know, you see it in uh, kids. Again, we're programmed with a sense of justice and what is right and wrong. Um, You know, the specifics of what's right and wrong we learn from the Word. We can't know that. Um, But you see kids like, that's not fair. They'll say things like, that's not fair. They know, like, something's not right, right? Um, Okay, so the basic cry of the heart of man is to be righteous before God. So many Christians do all kinds of work to obtain righteousness, such as confessing their sins, teaching Sunday school classes, and keeping the Ten Commandments. Yet these good works do not make a person righteous. Righteousness is obtained from God through the faith of Jesus Christ. Again, nobody was good enough to deserve it. Um, Philippians 3.9 Right now we're going to dig more into that, go to some of these verses that talk about how it's not by works. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. It's not by the law. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 
you know, we spent a bunch of time going through Galatians recently, and in that epistle, Paul, by revelation, you know, God's words to him to write it down, um, proves over and over and over again that we're not under the law, um, and that we didn't get this justification to begin with through the law, um, but it was by believing. But sometimes we uh, might get tricked into believing that, you know, maybe, <clears throat> maybe not the Mosaic law, but maybe we have to do other works to feel good in front of God. Um, but that's not true. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God foreordained that we should walk in them. Um, it's not of works at all. It's not by flesh. It's not by anything that you have done or haven't done or that you can do or can't do. Um, you know, uh, again, so there, there was the law, and that was like in the Old Testament, God's standard for righteousness people might try to make up their own standard of righteousness. And I have a few examples here of things that I've fallen into before believing um, that aren't right. Um, so, for example, you might think, I'll be a good believer when I witness to somebody. You know, I, I don't feel like... I'm really confident in the presence of God. But when I witness to somebody, then I'll feel good. And so you go out and you witness to somebody and you feel really good because the word says to. Um, but then you realize, well, that person really didn't, they didn't want to come to fellowship. So now I feel bad about myself again. <laughs> so I need to witness to somebody and bring them to fellowship and then I'll be a good believer. And then they come to fellowship, and maybe they stick around, and maybe they don't. And then you feel bad about yourself again. But when I witness to somebody and bring them to fellowship, and then they stay faithful, then I'll be righteous. Mm -hmm. you know? And we don't say that because we're not, we know we're actually righteous. We don't use those words, but we think that way. Um, I'll be a good believer when I'm better at manifesting, when I'm better at you know, speaking in tongues and interpreting, or... When I can cast the devil spirit out, then I'll really be a good believer. Uh, you already can do that. You just got to believe. <laughs> I'll be a good believer when I run a fellowship. I'll be a good believer when I overcome all the problems that I have. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Because <laughs> uh, we live in a fallen world, a messed up world. The devil is the god of this world. And there's no such thing as a bad believer. Because... Jesus Christ gave his life for you. If you're righteous, you're a good believer. If you're born again, you're a believer and you're good. God loves you. That's the way it is. Um, God made you to be good. And these rules don't come from God. Um, you know, it's, there's no difference between all of these things uh, that I listed here and what the serpent said to Eve in the garden. Like, did God really say that? Did God really say you're righteous? You got to do these other things too. It's not true. Don't believe him. 
Uh, go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. You know, there's a few reasons uh, why God gave the law. And a couple of them are, first of all, so that uh, Israel could stay alive, so that Jesus Christ could be born. That's a big one. That these people who kept making all these bad decisions... You know, here's something to stick by, some rules to help you to not kill yourselves. Um, Another reason is to show that man needed a savior, to show that as you live by the law and you make mistakes, you see, oh, I'm not perfect. I need somebody to help me. You know, I'm not able to be a savior for myself or whatever. But the law was never intended to be a permanent solution to the sin problem. It was, it's had those purposes, but now it's gone. There's no need for it at all anymore. And that's what Hebrews 8 says. Um, We'll read verse 7. It says, for if that first covenant, you know, the covenant that Israel agreed, we're going to do all the words of the law. All right, That's what they agreed to. That was the first covenant. If it had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second covenant. If that law was perfect, then it would still be around, but it wasn't perfect. And then verse 13 says, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth, waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Again, there's no point. You don't put yourself under the law. It's gone. It's ready to disappear, to deteriorate. Back to this book here. I've got another paragraph I'm going to read. It says, Your tears, your toil, and all your prayers, your good works, will avail nothing. Righteousness is not by the cross that you bear, but by the cross that Jesus Christ bore for you. The righteousness of God is given to every believer, not of works, but by God's grace, which is divine favor. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. We'll spend some time looking at Jesus Christ. You know, again, it's uh, God. I gotta look at the definition again here, real quick. Um, it's your God-given justification, whereby a person stands in the presence of God without consciousness of sin, guilt, or shortcomings. God-given, you stand in the presence of God. It's a love thing. God didn't have to do this. We didn't earn it. He did it because he loves us, because he wanted to. Uh, and Jesus Christ did it because he wanted to, because he loved you, because he knew that when he went through all of this, it was accomplishing something. Um, it was going to bless a lot of people. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us, 
Jesus, who knew no sin, took our sin upon himself so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Everything Adam lost in the fall, Jesus Christ regained for the believer when he died upon the cross. And we're going to spend some more time looking into that in a second here. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. So let's go to Romans 5. This is a phenomenal chapter. That's where it all started. The sin probably dates all the way back to the very beginning when Adam messed up. Man lost Holy Spirit, and uh, then they they hadn't they lost their connection with God. They weren't in God's presence anymore. And then God spent all this time making these plans to send Jesus Christ so that He could pay the price, so that we could be back with God and we could be righteous. So Romans 5, uh, verse 8, we'll start there. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that word commendeth here means God favorably introduced his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And I'm just going to... I think keep reading through this whole thing here. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man, who was Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So because of Adam, we have the sin nature, but we also, every single person commits sin. So as we get into this, we'll see Jesus Christ didn't just pay for that one sin. He paid for all the sins after that too, which is crazy. Um, 13. Uh, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them, that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more, and those words much more are really important in this section, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Again, it's much more. It's not just, okay, so Adam's transgression is, you know, to pay that off, it's $500,000 just to put a, a value on it. $500,000 to pay off that. Jesus Christ didn't just pay that. It was like paid that and way more. Uh, much more. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more 
they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall, uh, shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. You know, that was from Adam. Because of that, everybody was in condemnation. Even so, the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Everybody's righteous now, the Christians, believers. For as by one man Adam's disobedience were many made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, you know, the price that Jesus Christ paid is crazy. Uh, And it started, this whole section started off that he didn't have to do it. Scarcely for a good man, a righteous man will die. Um, But we were sinners and Christ died for us anyway. Pretty great. Um, So now you're righteous. God says so. Um, but what if you don't feel righteous? Uh, well, as Dr. Werewolf would say, feelings come and go, but the word of God liveth abideth at least until tomorrow morning. Forever. Forever. Um, yeah, the fact of the matter is that at least in this category, uh, your feelings don't matter because... You're righteous whether you feel it or not. God's word is the truth. And feelings come from thoughts. So if you want to change your feelings, you've got to change your thoughts. If you want to feel righteous, if you want to feel accepted by God, if you want to live that lifestyle where you're walking in God's presence and you're enjoying God, then you have to think that way. You have to think what the Word says about you. And so one way you can do that, um, you know, read the Bible, specifically reading those books that relate to your righteousness. So Romans, Corinthians, and Galatians. Um, And just keep working it until you really believe it. Um, And then let's go to Ephesians 6. And then there's, there's teachings you can listen to on righteousness. There's a bunch of, um, on our Facebook page, on our YouTube page, Pat has done a bunch of teachings on righteousness. Ephesians 6. <clears throat> I'm going to see if I can get through what I want to get through here. I've got a couple minutes left. Um, I'm in Romans 16. I'll just say it. Ephesians 6.14 is put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's where it says that. Um, You put it on. It says, stand therefore, right? Can somebody read it? Can somebody read it? Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, yeah. You stand. You stand on what God has already accomplished for you. Um, That's all right. I was going to go into a whole other thing about Job um, because he's such a great example where he, uh, he was righteous. 
Job 1.1, it says that Job was an upright and perfect man in the sight of God. And then the devil comes and ruins his life. And his wife says, you just curse God and die. Like, a, you know, any good wife would do. <laughs> and then, and, uh, then his best friends come and say, you know, if you were righteous, this wouldn't have happened to you. And Job says, my righteousness is Job 27, 5 and 6. Um, it says, my righteousness I hold fast and I'm not going to let it go. Paraphrasing. What a great man. Great man that he went through all of that and he was still able to stand. So, in closing, um, we made that one decision, right? The greatest decision that we could have made in our lives. And now, every single day, we have a new decision to make. Uh, do we continue to stand on our righteousness? We're seated in God's presence, and when He looks at us, He sees no sin, guilt, or shortcomings of any kind. When He looks at us, He sees His perfect sons and daughters, who will be His for all of eternity. We are just as perfect as Jesus Christ in His sight. We're good. You know, we don't have to do anything else if we don't want to. God looks at us, and we're good. Now we get to look, we choose to look at ourselves the way God looks at us and enjoy all the benefits that He made available to us. So that's it. Love you guys. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.